0: testing. One, two, three, four. We good? What? Offering at the end. Okay. We're going to take the offering at the end. This is, this is the problem when I can't read lips. See? <laughs> we just have to announce everything from the back. <clears throat> All right. Anybody know what chapter we're going to be in in John today? We've only been here. This is the fourth week. So chapter eight, we're going to finish chapter eight. I promise. We almost got there last week. We're going to finish chapter eight. Um, I don't know if you knew, some of you probably knew, some of you probably didn't, that uh, Andy and Eric and I were out uh, on the Elder's Retreat this weekend, Thursday night, Friday, and and Saturday, and I, I think we need to change the name of that. You know, retreat kind of gives the idea that we're, you know, playing golf or, you know, just relaxing and, you know, hanging out and in, in hammocks or something like that, and and uh, while well, well, we did have a good time, and we do enjoy, you know, being together and and uh, you know talking, it really is a lot of talking, <laughs> a lot of late night discussions, and uh, thank you, no arguments, but uh, just a lot of you know a lot of prayer, actually, a lot of seeking the Lord, and just asking, where do you want to lead this church? Because obviously, we know that this is God's church, right? This isn't our church. This isn't my church. It's not Eric's church. It's not Andy's church. It's not your church, it's God's church. And so as we, as we get together and as we seek to, to lead this church in the way that God wants us to, it, it's helpful to have those times uh, to get away, but I do think we need to, we need to change that to something like uh, intensive or something like that. But no, it was, it was a very good time, it was an enriching time to be able to get away and just focus on, on God's will for the church, uh, both His stated will and Scripture and uh, and where we believe he wants us to go uh, in the days ahead, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Um, but let's get back to John chapter eight. If you remember, <clears throat> excuse me. If you remember John chapter eight, we've had this long uh, discourse between Jesus and the people there in the temple, and we picked up last week um, with this idea that some of them were were starting to believe. In Jesus, they were starting to believe that He, well, you know, maybe this guy is the guy that we're looking for. Um, even though He's been saying some things that were kind of, you know, off the wall, some things that they're like, eh, I don't know about that. You know, I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I can get on board with, with what He's saying there. But, you know, He's, He's still doing these miracles and, and He's still, He's still teaching some things that, that I would agree with. And so, you know, I'm starting to believe and, and Jesus ups the ante right? We looked at that last week. He, he kind of takes it to another level. He says, he says if, you, if you want to be a true disciple, you have to abide in my words, right? You have to live according to what I am teaching you. It's not just an, enough for you to, to accept me and just kind of be like, yeah, you know, I, I, I like him, but, you know, there's some things that, you know, I don't really care. It's kind of like us with, with politicians, Right? We can be like, you know what? I, I think, I think this person is probably the best politician, but you know what? If I, if I were to be honest, there's this and this and this that I really don't like about this person. You know, because we're never going to find a perfect politician. And I think maybe in their minds, they were looking at Jesus and going, well, you know, he doesn't quite line up exactly with everything that I was wanting in a Messiah, but you know, maybe he's okay. And Jesus, Jesus takes him to the wall and says, look, if you are going to be my disciple, you have to abide in my words. And, and they had a problem with that because they didn't like some of the things that he was saying. And, and so then he goes and he reveals to them their spiritual ancestry, so to speak. He reveals to them who they really are. And because as Jews, they're caught up physically in this concept of being children of whom? Who? Who? Abraham, right? Children of Abraham. And at one point, they even they, they realized, oh, oh, you're talking about spiritual things, right? All oh, right. We're children of God, right? We're God's chosen people. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Because if you were children of Abraham, you would be doing what Abraham did. And that would be obeying God. You would be accepting me. You would be loving me. Because I'm speaking truth. And, and he says, instead, you're of your father, the devil, who was a murderer and a liar. And and that was shocking to them. They didn't like that idea. They didn't like that concept because they, they were very involved in, 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 in this idea of being God's people. They were, they were Jews. They were God's people. They were chosen. They were special. They were the ones who were given this land of Canaan. They were, they were supposed to be delivered eventually through the Messiah. They were, they were God's chosen special people. And here Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You're children of Satan. And so these people who for a moment maybe were were starting to kind of believe in Jesus and then they're a little bit shocked and now they're just angry. Now they're upset. And we pick up our our passage again, excuse me, starting in verse number uh, 48. John chapter eight, starting in verse number 48. We're gonna read through the end of the chapter then we'll come back and look at this narrative. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and he, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, Are you not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are Lord. And as Andy reminded us, we take that concept so flippantly at times. And, and even as we look at this passage and we see these final words of Christ to this crowd as he, as he proclaims, I am, as he takes on that role of, of deity, as he, as he proclaims that he is God, and the response of the crowd, Lord, we, we look at that and, and so often we forget that Jesus was not just Messiah. He was not just the the substitution for our sins. He was not just um, a blood sacrifice. He was not just a good man, but he is our Lord, and it is he who, who we follow. And I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that our eyes would be opened to him, that our eyes would be opened to the reaction of this crowd, and even to our own reactions as we evaluate how we respond to Christ. On a daily basis, I pray that you would be glorified in it, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We talked about last week, I, I don't really have a, a good like, outline. We're just going to go through the passage this morning. Because as we read these passages, the, these verses, I, I think you'll see a mounting process of, of anger and, and, and hatred as we look at this crowd. We've already seen it go from, yeah, I could go with this guy, to, wait a minute, something's wrong. You know, this is, this is not acceptable. This is, this is not good. And we get to this point here at the beginning of this passage where they, they kind of attack him a little bit, right? They, they call him some names. They say some mean things about him. And, and it's interesting the things that they say and the way that he responds. And I want to look at that uh, first here. What's the first thing they they say to him? You're a what? What? No. Samaritan, right? You're a Samaritan. Now, we look at that and we go, you guys are idiots. Man, what's wrong with you? You know he's from Galilee. I mean, they knew that, right? They knew where he was from. They knew he was a Jew. They knew that he wasn't a Samaritan. Why would they call him that? Because a Samaritan is a derogatory term. When they looked at him, they were so angry, they were so upset that they called him a Samaritan. See, to them, but well, who were the Samaritans? What? They were outcasts. They were, they were half-breeds, right? They were those, they were the, the, the product of Jews who had married Gentiles. And so they were, they were unclean. They were unacceptable. They were, they were not Jews. They were not God's chosen people. They were Samaritans, and they were looked down upon. If you remember, even back in chapter 4, Jesus says, I must go through Samaria, and the, and the disciples are like, what? Uh, you sure? Because, I mean, we're used to going around. We can, we can go around, <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of adding some words in there. It's not completely in Scripture, but, but they, they didn't want to go through Samaria, Right? They didn't want to go through there because they, they looked down on the Samaritans. It was a derogatory term to call another Jew a Samaritan because you were calling them impure. You were, you were calling them uh, an outcast. You were calling them a half-breed. It was a racial slur to call another Jew a Samaritan. They, the words of Christ had angered these people so much that they threw out, in essence, a racial slur. Had Jesus, and said, oh, you're just nothing more than a Samaritan, and then they take it another step further, and what do they say about him? You have a demon, so not only are you impure, and, and, and you're a Samaritan, and you're unclean, and you're a half-breed, not only that, but you also are possessed. Now, did these people know what demon possession looked like? I'm not seeing anybody, okay, yeah, they did, Right, Jesus has healed people, or, or healed or, or cast out demons, right from people. They'd seen what demons do to people, so they were familiar with demon possession. They they were familiar with it. They understood what it looked like, and so not only do they throw this accusation at Christ or this name at Christ as being a Samaritan, as a racial slur, now they accuse him of something that they clearly know is not true. They say, you have a demon. Why? Why are they going through this effort? Yeah, yeah they're angry. You know, we all, th- we all say things that we shouldn't say when we're angry, right? Husbands and wives, we know that. You know, children, you know, you say things that you, you know are wrong. You know they're untrue. When you're angry, it's, it's part of our, our human condition, right? It's a failure. It's sin. It's a lie. But they're angry. Yeah, that's part of it. They're just saying, we don't want anything to do with this. But where is it coming from? It's coming from Satan, is it not? He's just gone through this discourse and saying, you are not accepting my words because you're of your father, the devil. And he is a murderer and a liar. And because of that, you cannot accept my truth. And so here we have this this buildup. And it gets even more intense as they start to call him this racial slur. As they start to give him this false accusation of being uh, possessed by a demon. You know, it's interesting if you look at Christ's response. He doesn't even he doesn't even mess with the Samaritan part, right? He just he, he just ignores it. He's just like, eh, you guys, you know, I'm not even I'm not even going to go there, <laughs> right? He just he just moves past that one and he moves on to the demon possession. And he says, uh, in verse 48 or 49, he says, "I do not have a demon." But I do what? I honor my Father. And you're going to see this several times in this passage. He goes through and he says, look, even before this, he's talked multiple times. He says, look, I am here to do what God has sent me to do. I am here to honor my Father. And he, and he talks about in this passage, I am not here to glorify myself. I'm not here saying these things so that you all will think good things about me. Because he knew that they wouldn't. He says, I am here saying these things. I'm here preaching these words. I'm here telling you this truth because that is what glorifies the Father. See, Jesus wasn't concerned about the crowd and what they thought he was concerned about doing what God had sent him to do. That was his mission. That was his goal. And it didn't matter if he was popular. You know, we look at Christ and we think, man, yeah. He, he garnered quite a crowd most of, his, most of his life. That didn't matter to Christ. It didn't matter if he had throngs of people following after him because for him, it was all about doing what God wanted him to do, glorifying God with his words and his actions. And he says, that's what I'm doing. I'm proclaiming the truth that God wants me to proclaim, that my father wants me to proclaim. And so all these things that he's teaching about himself, about who he is, that he is from heaven, that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah. All these truths that he's teaching is ultimately not so that they'll look at him and think, wow, he's the man. It's so that they'll look at him and understand that there's a father in heaven who's about to cleanse them of their sins, about to provide salvation. The freedom that we just looked at last week, the freedom from sin that's gonna come through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's there to proclaim. But yet, they're unwilling to listen to the truth. And so they're riled up and they're getting angry. And the crowd is beginning to, to turn on him. And, uh, and you look down in verse 51, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, usually if you're, if you're teaching or, or, or talking to a hostile crowd, it's not a good idea to keep saying more things that you know they're not going to like. Um, I don't know about you, but thankfully I've never really, you know, had to talk to a hostile crowd. Um, most people are at least, you know, kind enough. You know, everybody in here is like looking at me and, and smiling, and a couple people who are actually paying attention are nodding once in a while, you know. Um, it, it, so this is, this is a nice environment. We've got, we've got good people. I don't see anybody sitting back there going, You know, there's no I'm not dodging rotten tomatoes. You know, I'm everybody's everybody's pretty nice, you know, because we're at church, obviously. But there are places where if I were trying to preach and teach these things, I might get some rotten eggs. I might get some cabbage thrown at me, you know, or I might just get beat up (laughs) or booed off the stage. And and it's usually in that situation, you know, you don't want to sit there and just kind of keep piling it on and piling it on and piling it on because something worse might happen to you. We're going to see that a little bit later on. But Jesus, what's his goal? He's not concerned about what they think about him. He's concerned about glorifying the Father, right? He's concerned about doing what God has put him there to do. And so he keeps bringing more and more truth. And at this point, the crowd, is so infuriated, they've completely lost their ability to think from a spiritual standpoint. Remember last week we looked at the fact, you know, he kept saying, it's not, about, it's not about you being the children of Abraham. You know, you're of your father, the devil. You know, he said, it, it's a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. You're not, you're not redeemed because you're children of Abraham. You're lost because you are children of Satan. And so they, they understood that a little bit. And, you know, they kind of changed the tune. Well, we're children of God, you know, because he chose us. And he says, no, that's not the case. And at this point, they've forgotten everything about spiritual. And they look at him and they say, what in the world do you mean you won't die? You said, if we obey your words, we won't die. Are you greater than Abraham? Now, what are they doing? They're going back to great men that they knew, right? They're going back to their history. And the greatest person in their history as, as the Jews is Abraham. And so they throw out Abraham, and then they, then they do kind of throw out some of the spiritual nature, right? Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than, than the prophets? Because all those guys died. Now, they did forget about Elijah. But, <laughs> but you know, he, they're like, all those guys died? Abraham, our great father Abraham, the one who God promised this great nation to, he's dead. The prophets who spent their lives uh, honoring God and, and sharing the word of God with our, with our ancestors, they're dead. And yet you're going to tell me that if I just obey the words that you're saying, that I will live forever. And they completely miss the fact that Christ is talking about spiritual things. He has been this whole time. He's been talking, he just got done talking about spiritual things when he said, you're of your father the devil. But they're so blinded by hate and rage at Jesus Christ, that they cannot evaluate anything that he says clearly. Everything is just another layer, another thing to get mad at, to get angry at. And so he brings up this truth that if we are in Christ, we will not taste death. That's such an awesome truth, is it not? That if we here today have trusted Christ as our Savior, We will never face eternal damnation. We will never face eternal death. That eternal separation from God is not our future because of Christ. And that's what he's trying to communicate to this crowd. And they can't get it because they're so angry and they're so caught up in the fact that Christ is not who they want him to be. Christ is not who they want him to be. See, they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for someone to come and overthrow the government of Rome and bring back the government of Israel and and to unify the country and make it whole and make it God's people again. And they're missing the true point. Jesus tried to make it clear when he said, if you abide in my words, you'll be free from sin, from the power of sin, from the punishment of sin is what he's talking about now. He said, you won't taste death. You won't see death. You'll be free, and they just can't get it because he's not who they want him to <clears throat> It's interesting, they bring up the demon thing again, right? They're like, okay, you are really crazy, all right? Because we know demons, they make people crazy. If you just think about some of the demons that, that Jesus came in contact with, right? He, there's the guy that was running around the caves naked, Right? I think cutting himself, if I remember correctly, you know, that's a little crazy. Uh, there was the, the son that was throwing himself in the fire with these uh, epileptic seizures from the demon. right? So they're used to this concept of demon possession. They're like, demons make people crazy. And, and so here's Jesus, and he's, he's saying about the most crazy thing you can think of, do what I tell you to do, and you will not die. Now we, now we know you're crazy. Now we know you have a demon because that just doesn't make any sense. Abraham died. The prophets died. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Look at verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If I, if my, it is my Father who glorifies me. It is my Father, I'm sorry, it is my Father who glorifies me of whom you say, He is our God. Think about what he's saying here. If I glorify myself, it means nothing. See, anybody can glorify themselves. Anybody can try to make people think I'm better than, than I am. You know, anybody can, can do things to, to try to get people to, to think that they're a better person or to think that they're uh, more valuable or think that they're smarter or that they're more important in some way. And, and people do every day. It's our human nature to glorify ourselves. It is, it is our flesh that tells us to glorify ourselves because it's pride and selfishness. And Jesus says, if I glorify myself, that's not gonna do any good because that's not why I'm here. I'm here to glorify my Father. And what does he say? My Father glorifies me. See, Jesus was not dependent on this crowd popularity. Jesus was not dependent on this crowd for validation of who he was because he was on a mission. And that mission was to proclaim repentance and salvation. And that's what he was doing. He was on a mission. And because of that, God is going to glorify him. He doesn't have to worry about what these people think. He doesn't have to worry about what these people say. He doesn't even have to worry about what they're going to do. Because he is on mission. And they, they've had just about enough of this. He says, My father glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So he says, Look, the guy that, the, 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 the being that you claim as your God, your God that you say you follow and that you say you worship and that you say you obey, he's the one that glorifies. This person that you think, you think you're think you following, you think you're obeying, that you're not, willing to, you're not willing to listen to me and you're not willing to accept the things that I'm teaching you, he is the one who's going to glorify me because I am from him. But I think it's very interesting what he says here in verse 55. He says, but you have not known him. You have not known him. Again, who is he talking to? He's talking to God's chosen people. He's talking to the people who have the law. He's talking to the people who the Messiah is going to come through. He's talking to the people who can trace their lineage back all the way to Abraham, and they're proud of it. And he says, you don't know God. You don't know God. See, the Jews had become a people of religion. Their worship of God was made up simply of tradition there was no concept of God as our king, as our ruler. That started way back when they, when they said, we want a king. When they said, we're no longer okay with a theocracy. We want man to rule us. And from that point on, God was just a, it was just a part of their life. It was just religion. There was no real interaction with God, There was no real understanding of this God and, and how he affects me. It was just God. And we go to the temple and we hear about God and we go to the temple and we make our sacrifices so that God will not judge us, so that we're, we're right with God. But there was no understanding of the fact that God loved them. Now they thought that they had favor because they were the sons of Abraham, right? But they didn't understand fully what God was like. You know, it's interesting, you look at people who, who want to uh, deny God. Where do they point to in Scripture? They point to the Old Testament, right? Because the Old Testament, we see a God of judgment, right? We see a God who, who is selective. He chooses out only a certain group of people, and he judges the rest of the world, and he uses that people to judge a lot of other people, and then he uses other people to judge them. <laughs> You know, we see a God of judgment a lot of times in the, in the Old Testament. And they point to that and say, this is the God that you want to follow? And Jesus says, this God that you know through the Old Testament, through your history is Israel, you don't know him. You don't know him completely. He says, but I know him. I know him. I came from heaven. Remember, I just told you that. I came from heaven. I'm here on a mission from him. I know him. And if, and if I were to say that I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you guys because I do know him and I'm here to do what God has called me to do. I'm here on a mission to proclaim to, proclaim to you the truth and if you will only believe it, you will be free from your sin and you will be alive. You will be free from the penalty of death if you only believe what I'm telling you. Your father Abraham, verse 56, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Why did he say that? He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham wasn't around. And they're, and they're about to ask him, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Come on, man. Now we know, we're, you're, we know you're lying. Why would, why would Jesus say that? Is it multiple choice? (laughs) No. I'll just tell you. He, He said that because Abraham was looking forward to Christ. He was looking forward to Christ. You just have to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and find out that he had been looking forward to Christ. And Hebrews tells us that he saw it. He saw it. Now, was he there physically? No. But by faith, Abraham saw what was to come. He saw that the Messiah was going to come and that he was going to redeem the lost children of Israel. And he rejoiced. Even though he never met Jesus, even though Jesus obviously was not old enough physically to have known Abraham, Abraham looked forward to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is trying to tell them, look, Abraham was looking forward to this day because he knew that I was going to come and I was going to pay For the sins of mankind, I was going to redeem Israel, and yet the crowd again is so wrapped up in earthly, fleshly thinking, and they can only look at look at Christ and see this young man who's about thirty years old, and and they can only look at him and hear these words that are coming out of his mouth and and the insanity of them to any normal way of thinking, and they say, "How can you say that?" And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And Andy alluded to this earlier, but this is not just an idle statement of I am. As soon as he said that, every mind in that crowd went back to the story of Moses, kneeling down or or even face down before the burning bush. When God is calling him to to go back to Egypt to save his people, Israel, and he says, how will they know that I'm supposed to be coming from you? What am I supposed to tell them? And, and God, Jehovah, the creator of the world, the, the God of Israel, the one and only almighty God says to, says to Moses, tell them I am has sent you. I have no beginning and no end. I am the everlasting and only I am has sent you. And Jesus says to them, you know how I know Abraham? I am. And this crowd that is building in rage and anger and frustration and hatred, hears those words, recognizes what he's saying. It's go time. They pick up stones. Now we know that this was not Jesus' time to die. And this this, uh, version says that he hid himself and went away. That's how important those two words are. That's how important those two words are to us and how important they were to the Jews. Jesus has gone through this, this passage and he's explained who he was. I am from heaven. I am from God. I'm here to do God's will. I'm here to glorify God. I'm here to teach truth. And if you abide in my truth, then you, then you will not be enslaved to sin. If you abide in my truth, then you will not see death. And he caps it with this revelation of who he is. I am God. But they can't accept it. They cannot see him for who he truly is. And you go on to chapter 9. Some did. Can you imagine being disciples in that crowd? In the next verse, the disciples are with him. You know, so, so they didn't leave him over this statement. But can you imagine being one of the disciples? Dude, did you just hear what he said? You know? Man we better get out of here. (laughs) You know, that's probably what's going on in their minds as well. I don't know, maybe maybe they kind of did like the the secret service protective thing and they just kind of swarmed around Jesus and and walked him out. I don't don't know what it looked like. But uh, this was inflammatory speech. This was blasphemy. But it was true. It was true. You know, we live in a world today that doesn't like truth, especially truth about Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes if we're willing to go to the wall Like Christ, it's going to have consequences. There's going to be trials. There's going to be trouble. But Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you have life. Even if we, like Jesus, proclaim the truth of who he is to a lost world, and they reject it, and they not only reject it, but they get angry about it. And they not only get angry about it, but they become murderous about it. And even if they take our lives, it's okay if we're faithful to what God has called us to, as we uh, I'm going to try not to reveal too much, but uh, come back next week uh, during our application and, and um, implementation time. We're going to we're not going to break out into groups. We're going to spend that time kind of going over um, where God has led us through our time away, um, where we believe we need to take next steps as a church, and. and And part of it, I'll just just give you a quick hint, part of it has to do with how we interact with this world as Liberty Hills Bible Church, as individuals, as families. There are some new steps that we need to take so that we're following this example. More than likely, we might get some doors slammed in our face or some friends maybe aren't friends anymore. But you know what we need to be doing? We need to be doing what Jesus did. We need to be proclaiming who Jesus was and what he came to do. We need to stop being fearful of what man is going to do to us and just seek to glorify God. That's what Jesus was doing. He was just doing what the Father sent him to do. And the world doesn't like it. They didn't like it when Jesus said it, and they don't like it when we say it. But it's our job to be faithful, just like Christ. As we'll be talking next week, there um There are several things that we're going to go over um, as a church, so make sure that you're here. Um, A couple of things I did want to bring up before we break out is uh, we've got some slight changes that are coming up. If you come in early, which you should, if you come in early, we have updated the slides so that they now have our upcoming announcements. All right, so every week we'll have upcoming announcements on the slides that that will Go through. So if you weren't here this morning early, then I'll just let you know we've got a couple of, of updates for you. One is the month of February, we will not be having ladies' Bible study because it falls on Valentine's Day. Somebody was looking ahead. <laughs> All right, it falls on Valentine's Day, and uh, we don't want to give any husbands excuses. So um, we're, not going, we're not going to have ladies' Bible study on February 14th. <laughs> yeah, Sarah's like, now you don't have an excuse. All right, um, so we're not going to have ladies' Bible study on, on that day. Also, this week, we will not have men's Bible study on Wednesday night. Instead, we're going to have men's breakfast slash Bible study on Saturday morning, okay? Saturday morning from 7 to 9, it's going to be at the Big Biscuit down here on 291, all right? So Big Biscuit, 291, 7 o'clock, Saturday morning, all right? No, you can't come, sorry. All right. Um, that's two announcements. Is that the only thing for the? Really, I think. Okay. Um, lastly, uh, back in July, I believe, we spent some time up here kind of going through some of these changes that we were making in, in how we structure our services and, and uh, trying to cast some vision of uh, where, where we wanted to go as a church. And one of the things that we mentioned was that we really wanted to pursue doing something valuable with the land. Um, And so we've actually been going, we haven't updated uh, the church on what's been going on, kind of behind the scenes, but uh, we've been in discussions with the deacons and just going through kind of a process to gather information. And so we have um, gotten another land appraisal. Did we ever, we didn't tell anybody what that was, right? So we got a land appraisal and um, the appraisal came in at, was it, six six $600,000 uh, for the land. Um, and so we've been taking our time to go through and evaluate, okay, what are the options? I know we mentioned, you know, there, there are several options that we could um, look at doing with the land. We could uh, sell part of it to build, we could keep all of it and raise funds to build. We could sell all of it and buy a, a facility or buy another land and build. You know, there's, there's lots of options that would be available when you have something like we have. We have seven acres of prime real estate. Um, and so we've been going through discussions. We've had uh, information come in from several resources about you know how do we go about doing this, especially from a building standpoint, because uh, none of the elders or deacons are, are construction people. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to get some outside help so we know how best to, to handle this uh, property. And um, and so we actually got some help from Bob Anderson's former pastor in Iowa who's gone through a couple different builds and he was able to give us some really good uh, information and just kind of how we go about um, pursuing building and, and getting the numbers that we need and things like that. So we've done some, uh, some evaluating and getting information and through this process, we've just kind of been, uh, we're, we're not rushing anything. We have no desire to do anything quickly um, we want to make sure that we do what God wants us to do with the land. Um, so we are, we are still kind of in, in information-gathering mode. Uh, earlier this week, we uh, received a phone call on Monday, I think it was, right? Or Tuesday? Yeah, on Tuesday from someone in Excelsior who owns a car dealership. And they were calling to inquire about whether or not we would be willing to sell our property as a whole. Um, And and most of of what we had talked about from a sales perspective as uh, elders and deacons is, uh, was to sell maybe up to half to finance building on the other half. That's kind of our, if we have to sell, that's kind of our perfect scenario. Um, They, however, need at least six acres. um, So they would pretty much wanna buy the whole thing. Um, We have not heard any numbers. We have not gone any further than their initial contact with us saying, would you be interested in talking about it? (laughs) So we responded to them at the end of last week saying, yes, we are open to conversation, and we're going to be getting with them sometime this week to get an idea of what they're looking for, what they're looking at from numbers perspective. And, of course, hopefully next Sunday, as we talk about some of the other things, we'll be able to give uh, more of an update on that. So why do I say all that? Because I just want you to know that we're doing stuff No. I say that because we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray not only for a building. We need to pray that God will make it clear how he wants us to move forward. You know, it may be that this guy throws some numbers out at us and we're like, wow, that's that's really good. Maybe we should do that. But yet the Lord might say, no, I don't want that. And we need to be okay with that. You know, it may be that they come back and say, you guys are way off. <laughs> and, and we're moving on to plan B. And we need to be okay with that too. But the only way we're going to be okay with it is if we as a, as a body of Christ are seeking the Lord's will together. The only way that we're going to be unified in this process is if we as a body of Christ are seeking God. Because you know what? It's, something, it's things like these earthly possessions like land, like buildings that so often mess up unity in a church. And that happens because we get our own thoughts and our own opinions and our own ideas and our own desires ahead of God's purpose. So as we do pray, let's remember what the purpose of the church is. The purpose of the church is to make mature followers of Christ to the glory of God. If that means we have to keep doing that in here, that means we have to keep doing that in here. If that means that God blesses us with a building of our own, that's awesome. But the building and the land is not the ultimate purpose of Liberty Hills Bible Church. It's to make mature followers of Christ, the glory of God through evangelism and discipleship. So hopefully we'll have a little bit more information next week as we get together, but please be praying that God will give wisdom and that God will give us an understanding of how he wants us to move forward not just in this specific area with this specific person, but as a whole, how he wants us to move forward. We're stewarding the things that God has given to us. All right, let's go ahead and pray before we we split up and then you'll have to run because we've only got two minutes because I talked way too long. All right. Father, we thank you for this gift that we have of the land. We thank you that it's debt-free. We thank you that you provided it to us in a way um that we know it was of you. And Lord while we've we've had it for many years and have not had the ability to to do anything with it to this point Lord we believe as as elders that it's it's time that you have you have given us this burden to to excuse me to move forward. You've given us this desire to to use that land well in a way that would honor and glorify you and not just sit idle. And so I pray that as we Uh, evaluate this uh, communication with this uh, opportunity, Lord, that you would just give us an understanding of what is is your will, that you would help us to know uh, what you desire for this church, whether it's um, to be on that piece of land or whether it's to be in another place and what that looks like. And I pray that you would give us wisdom as we communicate, that we would say only what you would have us to say, that we would not... uh, that we would not be doormats, that we would uh, be, as, as Christ stated, that we would be uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I pray that you would help us to know your will. And I pray that through this process, not only would we, uh, would we know your will, but I pray that we would obey it, and I pray that we would be unified in it, that we would not have um, selfish motives on any part, that we would not have um, disunity because of a decision that may be made in the days ahead. And I pray that you would just guard the unity of this body as we seek to, to simply serve you and obey you with what you have provided to us. And may you be glorified because of it. And it's Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, 30 seconds.